Okay, we're on. Okay, before we turn to um, Mark, just a bit of what I've been doing this week is I've been planning for one of the classes I'm teaching starting the 3rd of February. I've looked at Hosea, I've looked at Joel, I mean at, uh, yeah, Hosea, Joel. Hosea is called the weeping prophet of the north. I've always heard about Jeremiah being the weeping prophet, but he's of the south. And there's a reason why Hosea is called that. Take the class to find out or read it. And then I've worked with Joel and he speaks about a locust plague and so on like that. So it's, it's a fascinating series of books as we go through the prophets. And we have information on that. Uh, that's the first part. That goes for five weeks. And then there's a final celebration of learning. That's a test. And, uh, which comes two weeks later. And then later in this semester we're talking about the doctrine of the church and why we're Baptists and the doctrine of last things called Doctrine D. And then on Monday night there's Genesis, the book of beginnings. And on Tuesday night, basic or foundational Christian beliefs. And I have information here which I'll leave and you can talk with me. So with that... Be in prayer as we're looking forward to it, and, we're, and I'm trusting that God will bless, and um, it'll be exciting to learn more of His Word and see what God does in our lives as teachers and those who are sitting there in the pew as well. And the ones on, there's two of the classes are on Saturdays only. They go for five weeks, five hours per Saturday, and the ones on Monday night and Tuesday night are two hours for 17 weeks. So... Be in prayer that God will be touching people's hearts to take the class. Okay, I wonder. When somebody breaks a leg or an arm, do they go to a gym or do they go to a doctor? I know that's duh. <laughs> Why wouldn't you go to a gym or a fitness center? I mean, you've got to strengthen the arm or leg or whatever. Right? You go to the doctor, why? He's qualified, or she, is qualified to fix it. They have the, shall we say, authority to fix it as well. Okay? Or have you ever heard somebody say, I don't need a doctor. But everybody around is saying, you need a doctor. No, I don't. You know, we have all these kind of people. And if somebody's well, other than, say, like a physical like you have to have for work or visas or whatever, do you go to the doctor? Not normally. Why? We don't need it. In other words, we go to someone who can fix the problem, right? Let's turn to Mark chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. Verse 13, And he went forth again by the seaside, and all the multitude resorted unto him, and he taught them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom, and said unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, 
Many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You see now where I got my story, right? The start of the sermon. As we look at this, note where this takes this story takes place in two places. By the Sea of Galilee, near Capernaum, and the other in a house. Levi's house. Levi's another name for Matthew. And uh, some interesting things. First of all, he goes by the sea, but it says he goes by the sea again, which means he's been there before. We say, well, he'd been there before. What happened before? Well, in Mark, he went by the sea and he called Peter, James, John, and Andrew. And he came to those two sets of brothers and said, follow me. And they followed him. But with Peter and those four, that wasn't the first time they had met Jesus. We know from John chapter 1, they knew about Jesus. They were following Jesus. But when Jesus came and said, follow me to them, he was saying, come to my school. Come and I want to train you. I want to educate you. And Jesus went frequently by the sea. Why by the sea? That's where people were. It was a main road as well. There's a main road that went through Capernaum from Damascus all the way out to the Mediterranean and down to Egypt. And so <clears throat> they're there. But it says, and I get the picture, he says, and he came by the sea again and says the crowds resorted to him. You know how to get the picture? People kept coming. The crowd kept growing and then maybe shrinking, growing and then shrinking. And the Lord is continuing to teach them. And he must have been moving along by the edge of the sea. And he moves along by the edge of the sea. He looks over. And he sees somebody. Somebody that Peter, James, John and Andrew knew very well. It's called Levi. And Levi was sitting at the receipt of custom. Uh... What's that? Well, back in Roman times, you know what? They had taxes. And there was a head tax, which was minimal for everybody. That's why they had a census. But they also had a kind of sales tax, a kind of GST, shall we say. But they had a way for them that they picked it up. What they would do is they would hire a company. A company would bid and say, we will collect this amount for you. And they say, fine, you collect X amount, and then a little bit more is for your profit. And so what they would do along a major road, they would set up a toll booth. It could be a table, it could be even a little building. And the man would sit there, and if, let's put it in Matthew's situation, Peter, James, John, and Andrew had a good catch of fish. They have to pass by the toll booth. And Matthew has to look it over and say, okay, this is 
how much you pay. And uh, how many love and just desire to pay taxes. Look at big debate over the most recent one. <laughs> you know, they were no, nobody back then or now loves taxes. And then when you've got a toll booth guy standing there looking over his glasses, of course he didn't have glasses, but you know, that idea, and saying, you have to charge so much. Look, that's overcharging. No, nope, that's what it is. That's what you've got to pay. And uh, <clears throat> that's what he's doing. And Matthew is sitting there on a high traffic area. So you know what? There were a lot of people and a lot of taxes. So he made a good amount of money. He was also, for that job, had to be highly educated. He was no dill. He was good with figures, good with numbers, which leaves me out. But uh, he was good, he was that kind of a man. And so the Lord looks at him and he says, follow me. Now, <clears throat> I'll come back to that thought. Was Matthew a cheat or not? To be continued. <laughs> but as we have here, he says, follow me. Now when the Lord said to Matthew, follow me. He didn't mean just follow me like uh, ducklings follow a mother, the mother duck around. It's a whole lot more than that. When the Lord said, come follow me, he is demanding exclusive obedience. He is demanding complete, unflinching obedience and following. You talk to the Greeks. They emphasize the difference between the teacher and the student. The Pharisees had their students. They emphasized the Torah, the law. But the Lord said, follow me. Follow him. And it affected, and it says, when, he, when you follow me, it's going to affect every single area of your life. Let's look at a few passages of scripture. Uh, Matthew chapter, or Matthew, Luke chapter 9. And he said unto them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save him. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? The Lord said what? If somebody is going to come and be my disciple... He has to what? Give up all claim to himself. And in this he says, in this life it may mean losing everything. Completely everything. Even your life. But is that where the Lord stopped? No, because he says, what advantage have you to keep what you will lose to lose what you could keep forever. You get the idea of what I'm saying? In this life, if we aim to keep what we can, to hoard and the like, 
but lose eternity, what have we gained? What have we won? We have lost everything. You know, when so-and-so died, how much did they leave? Like somebody said, well, he didn't leave anything to me, but he left it all. And uh, in fact, it's over in Luke 14, 33. I'll just refer to it. So likewise, whosoever he be, he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Now let's go over to Mark chapter 10. Now the background of this is there's a young man that just come to the Lord. He was rich, he was wealthy, and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he calls the Lord good master. The Lord basically says, give up everything. Sell all that you have and give to the poor and come follow me. I don't have anything to give you other than eternal life. And the man walked away sad because he wanted to keep his wealth. And the Lord says, you've got to be willing to let go of the present to gain what you cannot lose. But Peter then pipes up in verse 28. Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and followed thee. He says, we've left everything. We've followed you. And in this, the Lord picks up a point that Peter is saying, Yeah, you've left all. And sometimes following me is going to be rough in this life. But he continues, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands for my sake and the Gospels. He's not saying to split up families and the like. It's, but he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with, with persecution and in the world to come eternal life. So when the Lord says to Matthew, follow me, Let's put yourself in Matthew's situation. He's making good money. How many people are going to be attracted with making good money? Easy money. A lot of people. He walks away from that business. There's a hundred people, I don't know how many, but I'll use that figure, that are ready to step in. So for him to get back in is going to be very, very difficult. He's walking away and he's done with that business forever. It's going to be hard if he wanted to go back. He couldn't get back. But the Lord said, come, follow me. Come and follow my direction. And it's going to affect Matthew every single area of your life. I, the Lord said, will have control. You will lose this business to gain what you cannot lose. Come, follow me. So what does Matthew do? He gets up and follows him. Now, that's the scene by the seaside. Now let's move into the house. Sometime later, I don't know how long. And we read they're sitting in the house and they're eating. And we know from Luke, this is not just a little light luncheon. This is a huge banquet. This is a real spread. It's at Matthew's house, Levi's house. A lot of people are there. But it's, what is interesting are the people who are there. 
They're publicans, that's the tax collector, and sinners. Now, how does I asked earlier and pointed out nobody likes to pay taxes, right? Now, with these tax collectors, it was so easy to add just a little bit more than the government required. But you do that over and over again, you can get a lot of money. And not only that, it's so easy to use the tricks of the trade to get to defraud somebody and take a whole lot more. That was a common practice. So the Jews and added to it, Levi was working for the conquerors, the Romans, probably through Herod. And the Romans were uninvited guests. They came and they had complete control. They conquered. They had the, the nation, the Judah, under their thumb in Galilee. And the people did not like the Romans and they liked the tax people even less. And they knew that they were defrauded. They knew that they were overcharged. But there was nothing they could do about it. The power was behind them. And so for the Jews, they kicked them out of the synagogue. They couldn't be judges. They couldn't even be witnesses in a trial. And it affected the whole family. So I come to the question. Was Matthew a cheat? Did the Lord call a cheat, a dishonest tax collector, to be his disciple? Well, go with me to Acts chapter 1. Verse 21. The situation here is, Peter says, you know, we've, there's, uh, Judas has committed suicide. His place is absent. We need 12 apostles. We need a 12th one. And he lays down the uh, qualifications. And notice what he says in verse 21 and 22. Wherefore of these men which have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out with us, beginning from when? The baptism of John under the same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. You know what that tells me? Matthew was a disciple of John the Baptist. Now you say, is that significant? Very significant. Look with me at Luke chapter 3. John the Baptist is preaching that people need to repent. And he says, judgment is coming. And so... Uh, verse 12, we have the publicans coming to be baptized. And they say, Master, what shall we do? Notice what John the Baptist says. And he said unto them, Exact no more than that which is appointed you. Hmm. You know what that tells me? Matthew was a conundrum. He was an honest tax collector. He was a follower of John the Baptist and was a disciple of Jesus as well. So he was aware of Jesus. He'd heard Jesus preaching. So when Matthew, or when John and Peter and Andrew, and, uh, James and Andrew, brought their catch, 
they got only charged what they should be charged. That was Matthew. So when Matthew, so when the Lord calls Matthew, his life is already committed to doing the right thing. But then when he also calls, then makes this huge feast for who? The tax collectors. We know who they are. And the sinners. Who are they? The sinners are probably the people who weren't scrupulous like the Pharisees. See, the Pharisees, well, what have you heard about the Pharisees? That they're hypocrites, show-offs, you know, things like that. You've heard that, right? Well, back up a moment and put yourself in that culture in that time. According to Josephus, who wrote after the fall of, just after the fall of Jerusalem, about a couple decades later, he said there were only about 6,000 of them in the whole land. They weren't that many. Added to it, these people are even today described by the Orthodox Jew as the fathers of modern Judaism. They are highly respected people by their day. When they looked at these people, these people were respected for being very religious. They believed that God gave not only the law to Moses, it'd be like, uh, give an illustration. There's the, there's the Australian Constitution, right? But then there is the interpretation of that, which can create some problems too, right? Well, the Pharisees believed not only did God give the Constitution, the law, but also the interpretation of the law, the oral law. And they believed both were of equal value. And uh, they were very careful, very precise. They didn't come from the upper echelon of society. They were the normal blue-collar people. They were one of the people. People respected them. But let me give you an illustration of how precise they were. How, when you ladies or men, whoever does the shopping in your, in your household, buy spices, how many much spices do you get? Not very much, right? They would tithe that. They would very carefully get out the amount for every single spice and tithe it. That was the way they handled all of the religious affairs. The sinners couldn't be bothered. So the Pharisees called them what? Sinners because they didn't follow the law. But there were a lot of these people here and there's something fascinating about them. And it says, let's back in Luke chapter 2. at the end of verse 15 for there were many and they what? followed him as I look at this they followed him hmm. that tells me they said like Matthew yep you Pharisees say we're sinners I agree but they have repented and then the Lord says a very interesting verse 17 proverb. They that are whole have no need of a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, if, a, if there's been, say, uh, a, big, a bit of an accident somewhere, a smash, and several 
people are injured. And the paramedics come. Who are they going to treat? The injured or the well, or those who are well? The Lord says, I've come to treat the ones who are sick. I've come to treat the ones who have a problem. Is he saying the Pharisees don't have a problem? No, he's saying they don't recognize their problem. But these people do. I'm not going to waste my time, so to speak, on trying to argue, spending time that you need to get right with God. And he did do that. But he says, I'm going to deal with those who know they need to get right with God. Who've recognized that they're sinners. Who've repented. He says, I've come to give them the solution to their problem. He has the qualifications to do it. He has the qualifications to deal with their sin. As I think about that, do we have people today who um, follow all the religious rules? They're satisfied that they're okay with God. They may think, you know, if I were to uh, put my good deeds, my bad deeds, you know, there's a few of them over here, but most of them are good. Surely I'll be alright with God. That's the Pharisees were like that. In this story, it's a story of two groups of people. One who recognized that they were sinners. Like we read, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Written by Paul later. But the truth, they recognized that truth. That all are sinners before God. No one is exempt. And that no religious ceremony can erase it. But there has to be a problem. And that the wages of sin is death. Matthew recognized he was a sinner. He had repented of his sin. These other publicans, these other sinners, who weren't as careful and precise like the Pharisees. You could put it this way. The Pharisees, let's take, and the Lord used this illustration. It's like a cup and a saucer. The outside was so clean it just sparkled. That's how their lives looked to the ordinary person. But inside was a whole different story. Their lives outside looked clean, but it was all an exterior show. They had not admitted their sin. They had not repented of their sin. But the publicans and the sinners had. And they were following Jesus. And they realized the wages of sin is death, an eternal death in the lake of fire. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And as we think of that gift, how could God give us the gift of eternal life? But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ came, Stephen Wivell, you're a sinner, but I'll take the penalty you deserve in your place. Okay, that's fine. But then what do I do next? What they did back then, these publicans and these sinners, they confessed with their mouth, they believed in the Lord. It, like it says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, But if thou shalt confess with thy mouth and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart 
Man believeth unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So it really comes down to this. As I think about this story, would you go to a doctor or to a gym if your leg is broken or arm is broken? The Lord said, I've come to deal with those who know they're sick, who are dying, who are headed for a lost eternity. And he says, I'm going to work with them. The Pharisees had brushed them off as saying, Un, uh, there's no hope for them. So I asked the question, which group are you in? We're all sinners. The one who recognizes their sin or the one who doesn't? Those who don't are in trouble. So like the name of the next hymn is my name written there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank thee for your love and grace. Thank you for the truth of this passage of scripture. <clears throat> of this story that you've given to us. And I pray everyone here, Lord, his life is right with God. In the those with the publicans and sinners rather than the Pharisees who did not recognize. Because it's better to gain what we can never lose than to try to hang on to things of this life, which we'll lose anyway. And work in people's hearts in Jesus' name. Amen.